Okay, well, we are back in the Gospel of John after taking a short break for Easter. And uh, specifically, we're in John chapter 5. And this is a little bit of a perplexing story. Um, this guy is a modern character, honestly. If you're used to watching shows right now, you know that uh, we no longer live in the world of the clear-cut good guys and bad guys, right? We have the anti-heroes. We have the villains who are different shades of gray. And so if you're watching a show like Breaking Bad, you find yourself rooting for Walter White, and you're wondering, should I really be rooting for Walter White? Long gone are the days of Superman. The, the newest Marvel hero came out a few weeks ago. He's the Moon Knight on Disney. And this guy, he's the hero, but he's also depressed. He's uh, insomniac, and he has multiple personality disorder. This is the kind of character we're used to. We're, we're used to watching these kinds of complex individuals today, and I hope that'll actually help us as we start to look at this passage in John chapter 5, because this is a complex character. He is a person who doesn't react in the perfect storybook kind of way. He's a person like us. He's a sinner who struggles to do the right thing. This is a story that reminds us that sometimes even after we come to Christ, our lives aren't what they should be. That we are still desperately in need of God's mercy. Desperately in need of his grace. Now I hope as we study this though, that, that while we can relate to this guy, I hope that we can also learn from him. I hope that we can come away from this, learning from this man's mistakes and, and leave here this morning choosing a better way. And so there's a few things I want to show us today as we look at this passage. I want us to see first the misery of sin. Secondly, the majesty of Jesus. And then third, we want to look at the miracle of healing. So I got some M words in there for you guys today. Misery, majesty, miracle. Maybe you can hold on to this after you walk out of here today. But let's first, let's start with the misery of sin. Now there's different kinds of misery in this world. There's the kind of misery that you really have no control over. Things that, that happen to you and there is no moral to the story. There's no explanation. There's no cause. In a few chapters, we're going to look at uh, Jesus healing a blind man. And in that story, they ask him, whose fault is it that he's blind? Was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? And Jesus says it's nobody's fault. It's not their fault. But then, there's also another kind of misery that can come from our own choices. There's the misery that can come from our own sin and the impact that our sin has in our own lives. The impact that our sin might have on the lives of people around us. Now, right off the bat, before we get into that, let me say, sin is one of those words that is often misunderstood today. It's a very churchy word. And I'm not sure that sin really carries the same clarity that it once did when people hear it. Uh, I was reading this British author. He, he wrote an essay. Uh, his name's Francis Spufford. And he said that today, modern audiences, when they hear the word sin, what they are thinking is something like enjoyable naughtiness. Right? When you get the dessert menu and the waiter says, you know, this is a sinfully delicious chocolate cake. The word is 
used to mean something kind of vaguely religious, kind of that religious people don't want me to do the things I like. They don't want me to have things that I enjoy. But of course, that's, that's not what sin is. That's not what I'm meaning when I say the word sin. And I, I like the definition that Spufford offers instead. He says that a good way to think about sin is that sin is the human propensity to screw things up. The human propensity to screw things up. He says it is our active inclination to break stuff. And by stuff, he means to break promises, relationships we care about, to break our own well-being and other people's. And he mentions that you can go a long way in your life without realizing you have this propensity. But eventually, there comes a point when you can't deny it anymore. There, there comes a point when you realize that deep down inside you, there is this ability to constantly break things. And he says it happens when a marriage ends or when a career stalls or crumbles, when a relationship fades away with a child that you only see on Saturdays, when that supposedly recreational drinking habit you had starts to ruin every other hope and dream. See, sin is not just a bad action. It's a broken inclination. It's something that is deep inside of every single person, including me. Including you. And it's brought misery into this world. Now, this guy in John 5, he is miserable. He's truly miserable. He is physically miserable. The passage tells us that he's been paralyzed for 38 years. Can you imagine? Just lying at the side of this pool, waiting, hoping that maybe somebody's going to lift him up and put him in there. But he's not just physically miserable. We see, as Jesus starts to talk with him, that he's also spiritually miserable. He's also emotionally miserable. You get the picture that he is the cause of his own troubles. And I say that because at the end of the story, Jesus tells him, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse will happen to you. And in that line, there's this implication, right, that, that unlike the man who's born blind in chapter 9, this guy, his suffering is the result of his sin. That his own sin has put him in this miserable situation. And we don't know how. We have no idea what happened. But wow. Think about that. How miserable must it have been to lay there for 38 years knowing that you were the cause. That it was all your fault. There's so many tragic stories like that. I was just reminded of a kid who, a 21-year-old who fell off the side of a cruise ship because he was drinking and goofing around and he died. And I was thinking of the shame that that brought to his family. And yet, there's nothing you can do because it was his own fault. There's no excuses that you can make. What kind of torment must it have been for this guy to know whatever he had done, that he had brought it on himself? I think there's a little bit of that in all of us. Maybe not in this exact same 
way, but don't we all know that feeling of being our own worst enemy? Don't we know that? Don't we know what it feels like to make stupid choices that hurt people? And then we, we can't blame anybody but ourselves. And so Jesus, he shows up and he approaches this guy who is in this miserable, self-inflicted situation. And he asks him, do you want to get well? And this guy, his response, well, I think it's strange. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in it, someone else goes down ahead of me. He doesn't say, yeah, absolutely, definitely, I want to be healed. He just gives these excuses. Something in the whole interaction is off. Even once the guy is healed, he doesn't seem grateful. Did you notice that? He doesn't say thank you. He doesn't praise Jesus in any way. In in fact, when the leaders of the temple come to him, he tries to blame Jesus for the reason he's carrying around his mat. It's like he misses who Jesus is entirely. He doesn't doesn't even try to accept what Jesus is offering. The man thought all he needed from Jesus was a little help. Just a little nudge. Just a bit of a hand getting into the water. And I think that In that way, he's like a lot of people that come into church on a Sunday morning. People who come into this building and they think, you know, I'm mostly okay. I'm 90% of the way there. All I really need from Jesus is just that little bit that's going to push me over the top. A little religion will help me be a more well-rounded person. See, that's one of the most treacherous things about sin. One of the most dangerous things about our sin is that it blinds us to its effects in our lives. It it blinds us to the pervasive depths that it has in our lives. It makes us think we're nearly good people. When in reality, we are so far gone That we can never change without a miracle. Sin has put us all into a state of misery. Sin has imprisoned us in a place of selfishness, anxiety, fear, and pain. And then like people who have Stockholm Syndrome, we have fallen in love with our captors. We have gotten attached to the very thing that is killing us. And Jesus says, do you want to be well? Do you want freedom from that sin that is making you miserable? And we say, yeah. But then we give a list of excuses. Well, I do, but not, not just yet. Can't you relate to this guy? There's this struggle we face, this misery within us, this propensity. Deep down, we know that we screw things up. And here Jesus is saying, we can be free. We can be whole. He's right there asking, do you want to be well? So what's the answer? 
Well, let's talk about the majesty of Christ. See, this story at the core is not about this man. This story is about Jesus. That's why John has included all these stories. You remember, that's the whole title of our sermon series. He tells us that Jesus did all these signs, and they are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. These stories are here because they've got to, they're going to show us something about Jesus. The fact is, this man in this story, he wasn't looking for Jesus. Think about it. He was not looking for Jesus. The verse even tells us that he didn't even know who Jesus was. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. He'd been lying there for years. This guy had faded into the background. Nobody saw him anymore. No one thought about this guy anymore. No one was looking for him. No one except Jesus. Jesus came to this guy unexpected and uninvited. You know, so much of today's uh, conversation about faith, it's all about uh, putting all the emphasis on yourself. It's about uh, our own efforts. It's about spiritual seeking, right? People talk about themselves as spiritual seekers. And in there is this idea that it's up to us to find truth. It's up to us to find God. We've just got to find the right book or discover the right guru or the right podcast or, or wherever it is that we're going to find truth. And if it's not out there, well, then truth, well, maybe it's in here. And we got to learn to meditate and we got to learn to calm ourselves and we got to learn to look inside to find where the truth is. This week I read in an interview with a famous musician, and the interviewer asked him, What do you believe right now spiritually? What are your ideas? And the musician says, oh, well, wow. I believe in compassion. I believe it's important to have faith in, in something. The kingdom of God is within you. I think it's a very individual thing. Now, I don't want to totally trash that guy's thoughts because I understand that. That's an appealing idea. This kind of self-directed Spiritual seeking, I understand why that sounds attractive. That the truth, it's, it's within us. The kingdom of God is, is within us. But here's the problem. Have you ever really tried to do that? Have you ever taken the time to dig down and try to look for the truth deep inside of you? Here's the problem. What is at the core of ourselves? What is down there when you keep digging? It is not some bedrock. It is not some unchanging, timeless truth. What's inside of us is shifting sand. What's inside of us is uncertainty and, and fear and insecurity and the reality that our life is fleeting and we could be gone at any moment. If you really search inside, what you're going to find is a different answer every time. If you really search inside, what you're going to find 
is that you're lost. You're lost. But here's the majesty of our God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills to go look after the one who wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you truly, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 who did not wander off. See, our God is the God who leaves the 99 to come after the one. Our God is the God who comes after us while we are still sinners, while we are dead in our trespasses. It says, while we are lying in spiritual paralysis, he comes to us and he says, get up. This is the Jesus that John wants you to see today. This is the Jesus John wants you to see today. The one who comes to you and transforms your life in the blink of an eye. Not by your power. Sometimes even against your will. He comes and he says, get up. See, the kingdom of God is not inside of us. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. And it's God's kingdom and that means if he wants you to be in it, you're going to be in it. He's going to have you if he wants you. And so this is a breathtaking moment. This is an amazing picture. Can, can you imagine being there that day? This guy who you have seen day in and day out for so many years. You know where he lies. Maybe you've gotten in the habit of turning the other way so you don't feel guilty when you pass by in the morning. And then all of a sudden you show up and, and he's not there. Well, no, he's walking around. And that mat that he's always laying on, he's got it tucked in underneath his arm. What are you going to say? How are you going to react to that miraculous moment? Well, you can imagine how you would react, but here's the reaction that we read. It says, the day that this took place was the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. That sounds outrageous, right? It sounds outrageous unless you've been around religious people. <laughs> right? <laughs> unless you've been around the church for a while and then you can say, ah... I recognize that move. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen that a couple times before. God healed this guy, but, you know, God is obviously at work in this guy's life, but, well, you better get in line, and you better follow these rules. Now, we don't do it the exact way, because, well, let's be honest, because we don't, we don't care about the Sabbath as much as they did, <laughs> Right? Evangelicals, the, the honor of the Sabbath, that's not one of the Ten Commandments that is our big priority. When somebody comes into the church and, and they haven't figured out keeping the Sabbath, we're happy to give them grace. 
we're happy to give them some time to figure that stuff out. And when we see these Jewish leaders, well, we see them and we say, well, that's so awful. Those hypocrites, how could they judge that person that way? But, but there are certain sins we still do this with, are there not? Sins that we get so focused on that we can overlook a miracle. Instead of praising God for the healing work he's doing in somebody's heart. Instead of rejoicing that God has brought a sinner into this place to hear the gospel preached. We drive people away. Because they haven't gotten the rules right fast enough. Maybe they don't say the right things. Maybe they don't dress the right way. Maybe they don't have the right political views, or the right sexual orientation. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place for obedience in the life of every Christian. But my question is, has our obsession with the rules kept us from seeing the working of the Holy Spirit? Do we still believe that he who began a good work will bring it to completion in someone's life? See, the majesty of Jesus is that he saves whoever he wants to. He comes and he snatches up even the most unexpected people. This man is shown to us in John 5 because he is an unexpected person. It would be hard to find someone who is more of a hopeless case than this guy. Paralyzed for 38 years. A sinner whose own choices had put him in that situation. And then still, even after being healed, he's still kind of a jerk. He's still selfish. He's as messed up as you can be. And Jesus still came for him. And he comes for you too. Whatever you've done, whatever you think, you can't recover from. However badly you may have screwed things up, the majesty of Jesus is that he comes to you today and he asks, do you want to be well? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about becoming well. Let's talk about the miracle of healing. So do you want to be well? Do you really? If I'm being honest with you all, I don't like the end of this story. We don't know exactly what happens. We don't know where this man ended up five years down the road, ten years down the road. But it doesn't look good <laughs> from what John gave us. This final little interaction, it says that Jesus found him in the temple and he said... See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And then immediately after that, the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus that made him well. Why would he do that? It doesn't seem like there could be any good reason for it other than to put himself in the good graces of the leaders and to get Jesus in trouble. And what, 
What did Jesus mean? What was that warning all about? Go and sin so that nothing worse will happen to you. What could be worse than that? What could be worse than four decades lying on the ground as a consequence for your own evil ways? What could be worse than than spending all of those years punished for your sin? Well, here's what's worse. The true and final consequence of sin. What Jesus is talking about here is the day of judgment. What Jesus is talking about here is a day of reckoning that is coming. A day when one day God is going to hold everybody accountable finally for our sin. He's talking about what sin will ultimately, eventually cost us if we don't repent. It'll cost us eternal separation from everything that is good in the universe. And in this passage, we see two different ways that that can happen. One way is the way of this paralyzed man, a wayward life, rejecting Jesus, saying that we don't need him. That's how you can miss his salvation. But the other way is the way of the religious leaders, the people who are good and righteous, who don't think they need Jesus. Because they're good enough on their own. They can earn their way to God with their good record. And with their respectability. But the message that you need to hear today. The message you need to know from this passage is this. There is no way to be healed apart from Christ. There is no way to be healed Apart from Christ. There is no path to salvation unless you will let him heal you through repentance and faith. And that means the only way to be healed is for you to surrender. To acknowledge the true depth of your misery. To admit that deep down inside of you is that constant propensity to break things. You've got to come to that point where you can say, I'm a sinner, please heal me. So what are you going to say? What will you say this morning? Do you want to be healed? That same Jesus who said, take up your mat and walk, that same Jesus lives today. And he wants to heal you. He wants to heal you from your sin. And Christians here, I want to speak to the Christians here too. This isn't just for non-believers. His healing hand, it is still stretching out to each one of you this morning. Look, I'm going to be honest. There are some sins in this life. There are some struggles that we will face that we will never fully get rid of in this life. Right? There are some things that we will always wrestle with, that we will always limp along with. There's places where it's God's will that we are going to have to fight for obedience in our lives. And there's going to be places where that's difficult. But I also don't want you to underestimate Jesus' desire to heal you today. Don't underestimate his desire to free you from the weight of that sin that holds you down. 
And you might hear that and say, well, how can I know? How can I be sure that Jesus wants to heal me? How can I be sure that if I ask him to heal me, that he's actually going to do it? Well, the reason you can be sure is because of the cross. Because in that moment, Jesus was wounded so that all who cry out to him in faith will be healed. In that moment, Jesus, he cried out for help. He cried out for healing, and he was ignored. God passed him by. He was left to die in our sin. So that when we cry out, we get the healing he deserved. When we cry out, God lifts us up, and he washes us, and he makes us new. So what's your answer? Do you want to be well? 